pass from Havili was magic. The shift on for Crotty. Boom, far down you go, Quaggett Smith. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that. Yes, boy. Sit back, relax, put your belt on, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Giraffe Rugby Show. Uh, you're either listening to us via podcast or watching us on YouTube. Do us a big favour and uh, check us out or get subscribed on both of those if you haven't already. Uh, I'm your host, Kagi, and I'm joined tonight by my co-hosts, Harry and Nelson. Lads, how are we this evening? Always good, mates. Talking um, about footy. I mean, it did take us an extra couple of days to record a podcast after that shellacking last week, but you, otherwise good. You, you put- oh, was there a game last week? I didn't realise there was a game. Yeah, sure. No, look, I'm doing pretty well, surprisingly, seeing as, uh, as we just touched on last week. But you, you'll see that there's not as much depth in the review this week, and that's probably why I'm happy. Kagi's hmm. in that first <laughs> stage of grieving denial. Yeah. Yep. That's true. We, we don't review the big losses. Um, we just move on. It's a um, forward only. Upwards, onwards and upwards. Um, well, tonight we are going to be joined by a very special guest uh, to help us preview Bledisloe 4. And um, just generally talk Aussie rugby and the Wallabies. Um, Harry, how are we going with... Um... He's ready to go, mate, whenever you are. Well, let's, uh, let's bring it in. Let's, with no further ado, let's not keep the listeners waiting. Ned Hannigan. Ned Hannigan. <laughs> the older... Hey, Ben, how's it going? Ben, good day. There you going? Just give me a second. Yeah, no worries. Apologies, it's not Ned Hannigan. very good well look to our uh, our listeners as you can um as you can see we're joined by ex wallaby ben darwin uh thanks very much for joining us uh we're very excited to um get your take on uh i guess a lot of things really um it's an exciting and trivial time in australian rugby but um look by way of introduction ben obviously a wallaby uh has coached all over the place uh now spends most of his time just featuring on podcasts really um but uh, also a uh, certainly a, a very very good rugby analyst, and um, has in fact made that his business, uh, founding Gameline Analytics, and um, really studying uh, cohesion and uh, the importance of that in sporting teams and other organisations. So, yeah, Ben, look, thanks very much for joining us. Um, I guess first up, we we weren't really going to talk about last week's game, but what did you make of last week's game? Um, it's. There's, there's nothing about it that I would say is a shock. That's, I'm not trying to be rude or anything like that. And, and one of the important things, because I do cop a fair whack on, um, on social media at the moment, is that when, when I talk about a team being good or bad, I would say that I'm not saying that, that a team is good individuals or bad individuals. So I was looking at a team just then, you know, when Toulon went on their first buying spree. So there's a game that Toulon had, I think, Andrew Mertens, Victor Madfield... Um, Anton Oliver, uh, George Gregan and Sam, they got five ex-Test test captains and they still lost a game in second division. Wow. Yeah, wow. So that is an extraordinary team that was desperately poorly put together. So, so when, when we talk about, about a team, we could say, well, the Wallabies used to be extraordinarily well put together. That made them a great team. At the moment, we're not well put together, but this has got nothing to do with any of the individuals. It's yeah. just got to do with the way it's constructed. So um, uh, let, let me put it to you this way. Both, both New Zealand and Australia have come off pretty dramatically since, um, say, 15. 15, both of, the, both of the two teams in the final were the two most cohesive teams in the world. And New Zealand's probably come off 
60% off that, 65, 70% off that almost. But Australia's come off probably more like 65, 70, 70, let me have a look, 75% off that. Wow. So, so we've both taken a, a big step backwards. And that's a whole bunch of things. That's guys going overseas. That's cold pack. That's, that's, you know, guys retiring, um, reloading after World Cups. But, but we've taken a, we've taken a huge step back since 15. And then again, um, even off 19, we're probably down 35, 40%. So um, the scores at the moment are where they should be. And the best way to describe it is New Zealand put a team on in Perth last year. That was not a great team. And we put a fair whack of points on them. Yeah. The, the New Zealand team now is about the same quality as that team. Oh, yeah. And is now and is now slowly progressing up from that point. And and we are we are as of the first three games we are not progressing. We're actually making enough changes so we're not going forward. Yeah, I think um, first of all, I mean, you, you've raised a lot of questions. You jump straight into it, which I, I, I okay. really like. But um, look, one question for us. I mean, you're talking about cohesion, and that's a, a massive part of this. What factors do you include when you're talking about the cohesion of these teams? Like, how, how do you analyse that? Do, do you throw coaches in as well? Is it only players? Is it time together? Or, or how do you assess that? So there's all these different components. So one of them is, is you know, like one of the things that has actually come up in this series is the fact that Australia and New Zealand both stopped playing at the back of Super Rugby um, much later. Yep. So New Zealand, you know, stopped about two months out. We stopped about a month out. Um, so that that is one component of it. Another component is going to be um, time together yep. and whether that's in a club or in a, in a, in a particular um, uh, for, for your country. Another is when we talk about coaching is systems. So whenever, whenever a coach comes in, they generally will come out with a new system, yep. either a defensive structure, a way of playing. Um, and so that, that takes adaptation. You know, um, particularly I see a lot in rugby league, a coach will come into a team. And interestingly, the more experienced a coach is, the worse they tend to do because they tend to change too much. Whereas someone comes in that's very experienced or so inexperienced, they're like, I don't know. So they just kind of leave it a bit and teams tend to flow on. Right. Um, an interesting thing we found in the AFL, the later you bring a coach in, the better the team does the next year. <laughs> so just <laughs> sort of bring them in, I don't know, February. Um, but um, I don't know if Dave's frozen or is he just very... <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's probably to be fair it's probably good for all of us like, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. I, I think that the interesting thing about like the last point you made there like bringing them in last minute uh, as a coach I wonder if you've looked at the figures and I mean us in was it 2015 when we brought Checker in literally it felt like last minute into that World Cup you know you didn't have a number of years to build into it. Do you think that played a little bit of that role as well? I think the thing that was the biggest advantage we had in 15, and God bless, let's not say it too much, but his bias towards the Tars was a massive advantage for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so um, one of the things that we've always we've always had is we've tended to have a, some form of bias in the Wallabies. Yeah. Whether you treat that thing as a good or a bad bias. Harry's back. Sorry, David. Um, so, so when... But when, when, say, we were playing in 99 and 2000, about 75% of our cohesion, as we might call it, was actually coming out of club. It wasn't coming internally at the Wallabies. Yep, right. right. Now it's about 20%. So almost all of it is now coming inside the Wallabies. 
And so, and so for like England is England's always been the same way. England have to play together as England for an extended period of time because they can't pick all wasps or Saracens because there's too many foreigners. You know, they just don't have that set up within their clock system. So, um, my apologies. What was your question? <laughs> but the, so, so is it about um, system change or the or the or bringing in people late? So yes, my apologies. I think with Shekhar is not a guy who makes massive loads of technical change. He's more about kind of inspiring people and getting them onto. Yeah, yeah, but what you could see last year is that is that it, if you look if you look through the lineups from eight, in eighteen, you could kind of see where he wanted to go. Yeah, but then as soon as nineteen hit and we had a selection panel, yeah, it was like they were horse trading for who was going to be in the starting team. Okay? Yeah, and so you've had comments like O'Connor said, you know, check you got the team you want, and then it was sort of like. You know, Checker said he sort of wished he'd kind of maybe pulled out earlier. I mean, I mean, what I would, what I'd say to you is, you never want to be in a position where you're picking a centre to play his first game in that position in a final. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whether you're, whether you're England with Burgess, you know, in the centres, or whether you're, you know, whether you're putting. So, so what was what you end up being left with is is a whole bunch of bad decisions. Do we go with O'Connor who we don't think is up to it, or do we go with Patea? What you want to be able to do is to make those decisions two years out, yep. which is what South Africa did. Yep. Now, um, the, the, the less cohesive your country is, the further you have to make decisions out mm. from a World Cup, right? So there's a great example. So when Gatlin took over Wales in 08, mm. yep. he picked the entire Ospreys team as the Welsh team and won the Six Nations, right? It was, it was insane. And he had five days to do it. And sometimes you think, like, was that just default? Or if you look at the state of origin, when when Queensland was winning very heavily, repeatedly for that ten years, mm. almost all of it was coming Broncos, Storm, Cowboys, and they just just yep. picked them up the default, right? But now we have the setup we have. We have, Australia needs to choose further out who the team is. You know, ninety nine that team was picked. Remember the team that played England? Yep, yep. Uh, ninety eight. So that that team in England played ninety eight, beat them by seventy or eighty. One is England. That England team is just. Trainer. not in a bad way, just they were just kids and they were just thrown into it. Yeah. Um, is that, that that team, 13 of that 15 started in the final. And one of them was because Kearns got injured. So it was only Bowman that didn't play in that final. So that team basically stuck thick for that sort of two years. Yeah. Now, most of that final, like I said, that cohesion was coming out of the Reds. So nine Reds players, you had nine, ten combination, Bernie and Greeks. And that was that was that was a, a huge advantage to us. We probably now have to choose earlier yeah. than that in order for us to be competitive in a final. We probably have to start to figure it out three or four years out as much as we can. And that's that's gonna be the difficult part. And the difficult part is always losing and staying with it. Like, yeah. Every team that's won the final has been in the top two or three for cohesion in every final since '87. Yeah. The hard part is in order to, so we know that it requires a massive amount of, of accumulated stability. It makes sense. Mm. The difficulty is, is in order to achieve accumulated stability, you have to be stable in order to do it. And if you're losing, you don't want to be stable because you're like, we just got to make a change here. Yeah. That's the problem that Rennie's going through right now is this team isn't working. The other one isn't working. The other one isn't working. Now, the difficulty is we don't have that in the bank like we used to. So when the team was struggling under Greg Smith, 96, 
27, we always had it in the bank that the Reds could turn up and do well. Yep. Or Moritars could play and do well. We don't have that anymore in the bank. We've got young players. We've got, we've got more clubs. So we have to build it through test in order to achieve it. And the hard part is right now he's trying to find which combination works. Mm. Difficulty is if you keep trying to find different combinations that work, maybe none of them will work. Yeah. I've, right? got, I've got two questions for you on that. So, well, the, the main question, the main, I, won't, I won't ask too much. The main question is obviously Rennie's current plan is building towards the Rugby World Cup in 23. Um, he's been very vocal about the fact that he's picking on form. And so I, I think that along with a few key injuries has meant that there's been a huge amount of rotation and change in these first four Bledisloe games. Do you think four years out, given what you know and what you've just said about the Australian club scene and how low the cohesion is, should we be looking at a pick and stick now or is his tactic of trying to build, build a base and create opportunity for players the right way to go so early in this World Cup cycle? It is absolutely the case that if you're going to do it, you do it now, yeah. unquestionably. Yeah. The thing is, 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 is that how long do we do it, do it for? Yeah. And in chaos... And, and we are a team in chaos right now. Just the amount of churn we have. In chaos, everybody looks bad. Yeah. Yep. What you need to be able to do is, is stabilise enough for people to get a chance to play well. Yeah. And, and I was particularly thinking about um, 10, 12, 13. And let's, let's pretend I know anything about backline play, which I don't. <laughs> is that, that, you know, there's... Okay, so here's an interesting question. 10, 12, 13 for Australia since 1980, which three have played together the most for Australia as a three? Uh, Regan, let's say, Larkin. no, 10. Larkham, Guido Mortlock. Probably completely wrong. <laughs> you I'm too, I'm, I'm too recent. No, no, that's all good. So, I, so I, was, I was looking at it this afternoon. Anyone else? Ah, I mean, I, I, honestly, I probably would have gone similar. Horan? Yeah, so it's, I think it's I think it's uh, there's two, actually two pairings which dominate this notion. Yep. And it's um, let me just find it for you. It's um, where is it? My apologies. No, no, no stress. I'll take this option today. Sorry, I'm back. Uh, yeah, just tell yeah, yeah, me. It was actually quite peaceful without you, Kagi. So I'm sure, I'm sure you enjoyed it, but I'm um, here to, to ruin things, so don't worry. Um, so here we go. Mm. So, um, so it's it's Larkham, uh, sorry, Liner, Little Horan. Yep. Which of course is functioning out of the Reds. Yep. Yep. And then you've got um, Larkham, Kito, Morlock. Yes. Hey. Uh, now let's say I think those are both. They play 22, 23 games. Just yep. for Australia, but we're probably talking about hundreds of games yep. for the Reds, for for um, for for, uh, for the Brumbies. Yeah. But so what those guys all had is when they came in to play for Australia, they were already probably 40, 50 games into that combination. Yep. But it's a, we talk about absorption. It's a much easier absorption. The more stable the environment is, the easier it is to come in, right? What we're doing now is we're debuting guys in those combinations in tests against the All Blacks. <laughs> yeah. You're going to look. That's very, very difficult to do. The definition of chaos, absolutely. The definition of chaos, you know. Um, 
And I, I remember talking to James Holbeck, about, and I, have, I just basically have to ask guys about those centre pairings. And he was saying to me, you know, we, we played against France. This is when he, he and Jason Little first played together because they had not played together in any form of combination. So we played against France, and that was easy because France sent their BDC team out as they usually did at that time. And then he said, we came up against um, the All Blacks the next week. And he said, I was dealing with massive amounts of ambiguity, uh, technical expertise, and stress under massive amounts of duress and just not being able to compute it. We were just looking at it like it's too late for us. They knew they were in massive amounts of trouble because they were trying to adapt to three or four things coming at them at the same time. Yep. And it was just moving too fast. And it's just, they're just looking at each other going, well, we're done here. We're, we're cactus. So you don't want to be undergoing that against your blacks. You want to be undergoing that for your club or for your super rugby and coming on and doing it 20 minutes to go as a reserve. Yeah. Mm. And, and so, the, the, you know, if we look at those two combinations at 10, 12, 13, we haven't got anywhere near that 22 level now since 06 or 07. We haven't, got, we haven't settled on any form of combination since then with any mm. great sort of level of, of sort of continuity. And, and now sometimes that just might be about 10, but sometimes that might be about like, you know, in 07... That um, that Larkham uh, Gitto Mortlock combination was mm. set to probably overcome that record, but with two games to go, Bernie's injured. Then we play with Barnes in that quarter final, and you know we got what we got. But that wasn't about Beric being the right guy. Another, I was just too late. You know? Yeah. On, on a question on on that, you know, I don't know if it's it's probably too specific of a question, but in, in terms of Dave Rennie, have you looked at is he a guy to sort of pick and stick over time? in terms of what he's done at the Chiefs and what he's done since then? Or is it, do you know, if it's a typical thing for him to do or does he like to create changes? And um, I suppose it's probably a tricky question, but... Can, can I think, I think what, what I'm saying is what you do normally get when people switch from um, uh, coaching in, in programs for the franchises to tests. Yep. So within, within, a, within a test, within a, within a franchise, you basically have a limitation on who you can choose. So yep. he would have gone to, to the Chiefs or gone to Glasgow and said, right, this is what I've got. I've got to yep. work with this to find the best I have. Yep. With, with tests, there's always people coming in. Yep. There's always people that are going to be available to pick. And, and so you're always, in a way, searching for that answer. And you can bring people in to train. You can bring an answer in. And the difficulty with that is you can actually end up just keep searching and searching and searching and hoping. I remember when, when you know, Henry Spate was going to be the answer. Mm. Like, get him qualified as soon as we can. Let's get him in and everything's going to be okay. And it wasn't the answer for a whole bunch of different reasons. So I think that we shouldn't, you know, there is no kid coming to fix the problem. There is no superstar. There is no individual. And we, and, and. Except Fraser McGrath. Except Fraser, yeah, of course. (laughs) So, so, so the thing is, obviously, we need to try to build our way out, right? And you can make changes, but. It's basically the rate of change. At the moment, we are within the context of the game so far. We are changing so much that we're not we're not increasing the level of cohesion of the team. Mm. Now, New Zealand are, and they are, and, and they are going up, and therefore they're getting better, and they will continue to get better off off being quite a bit behind us with that gap in terms of the games. But but we're both down quite a bit, and it's where we progress from here. Um, that's the biggest sort of question, and. What can, what can Rennie bear? I mean, you, 
it's in, in this in this scenario, you know, I've been looking into this now for eight years. I just you know the amount of times that boards panic and boards of clubs, you know, there's a great podcast actually on AFL about called Sacked, and they go and look at every coach that's sacked and, and look at his career. And, and we often map out the, that, that season for that coach and find the actual coach won more games than they should have, but they still sacked the coach because mm. they didn't necessarily understand where they were at. Um, and, and, you know, you look, at, you look at rep cycles and the easiest example I always give is, you know, um, there's so little you can control within rep teams that Craig Bellamy has the worst, second worst uh, record in the, co- in the history of State of Origin as a coach. Yeah. Which has got to say, which has got to say something. So Rennie's walked into this scenario. He's now trying to find the team that he thinks is right. He knows rugby better than the four of us. Yep. Knows the game better than that. So we need to have faith in the fact that he's going to try to find what he wants. Yep. And, you know, he's putting Hodge at 10. That's an interesting idea. I didn't know that that was an idea, something that we could do. Let's see what happens. <laughs> but the difficulty is what we need to expect is that it should be probably very, very difficult for that to be a successful combination. Yeah. Very, very, very I think what you'd hope, um, you know, Rennie came in, he signed a four-year contract. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, am, I, am I still here or am I cut out? No, you got me. Yep. Uh, (laughs) um, I was going to say, Rennie signed a four-year contract and just how uh, important that would have been to him. We saw saw Michael Checker, uh, when he first started with the Wallabies, you know, off the back of a lot of success, the Waratahs winning, uh, the Wallabies, everyone very quick to forget, made the the final and it was, you know, it was very close at the start of the second half um, in the 2015 World Cup. And after that, he had to fight really hard to sign a contract up until the end of the next World Cup. And I think he almost walked away from the job because they only wanted to give him a two-year contract. Um, so I think Rennie's uh, kind of gone into this thinking, look, I've bought myself a year, perhaps a year and a half, and I'm just ready to expect the worst from the Australian public, the media and everything. Uh, but I'm working on a four-year plan and he just has a very clear goal. I think certainly the Australian sporting landscape uh, as you say, we've and um, to to want change. Basically, um, I think it'll be really interesting to see uh, how quickly David Rennie is able to, yeah, exactly find those combinations, but and to start seeing some success. Um, typically, he's been his trademark has been that he's been very successful very quickly with a lot of teams, um, with the Chiefs and with Glasgow. Uh, but I think it's going to be hard to have that same expectation. Um, with a test team, uh, particularly a rebuilding test team. Um, but yeah, well, I guess, what do you think? Uh, you know, what I, what I like from Rennie is just in his, uh, his press conferences so far, his face, he just looks like he just doesn't care. Like as in he, he's happy for anyone to ask him anything, say anything. He's just going to give a one or, or two word answer and, and move on with himself. Um, do you think he, how, how long do you think he can, uh, he's bought himself? Yeah. I think it's a year is too. He keeps trying things. I think that it depends upon upon um, you know so so much of performance is actually based on what everyone else does. Hmm. You know most of the you know if we look at if we look at what's happened in Australian rugby the last twenty two years twenty five years half of it is the improvement in the Celtic teams. Right, they they Ireland Wales Scotland have improved dramatically 
Therefore, our results, we've come off, you know, we've gone up to sixth or seventh. So there's what the other, there's what you come up against. There's also what you have. So that's going to, that's going to play a role. I mean, one of the things that's worked in our favour is the All Blacks have gotten much worse. Mm. Right? Because if we played, you know, I think if we played the team that played us in 15 in those games this year, this could, that would have been, I mean, think about Carter, Nonu, Smith, <laughs> yeah. us there, you know, yeah. um, you know, that would be a genuine concern. Um, mm. uh, I think that, that I'd never underestimate how fickle people can be and how much they can change their mind. I mean, I've seen, I've, I've, you know, from, from, from when Greg Smith started, you know, there was articles about him being a genius and him taking rugby Australian forward. You know, Rod, Eddie, Knuckles, everyone gets this kind of like this honeymoon period where they're regarded as a genius and we see them in a certain light. Yeah. And then results start to come in and then we, we start to see them in a different light and then there's doubt. And then all of a sudden we blame them for everything. We blame them for COVID. We blame them for syphilis. You know, the whole thing starts <laughs> to fall over. And then they start to see, and then what starts to happen is everything that has gone wrong during that tenure will get raised. So, you know, when Mackenzie was fired, everything that went wrong, you know, privately got brought up between the players. You know, when Dean's was fired, it was like, well, he doesn't understand Australian culture which is funny because he's gone to Japan and won everything. Um, you know, so, so, so we, we, we have really, really short memories. And if, if, if New Zealand rack up 80 on us this weekend, you know, how, what, what are you, how are we going to start feeling? You, you look at the way that the, the, um, that, that uh, you know, the social media now functions and the, and the response of people to those, to those type of scores. The one thing I'd say is, is that what we find with coaches is most of them, are performing where they should be. Yep. Yeah. Wallabies haven't really underperformed at any stretch except for a couple of games at the back end of you and McKenzie's period. They're pretty, and, and a couple of games actually at the back end of Eddie Jones's period. You know, their 05 tour. Mm. Um, but but most of the time we are where we should be in terms of the numbers. And then um, and Rennie's been the same. You know, he hasn't really overachieved. He's done he's done fine. He inherited a great squad with Glasgow that's been on the improve. Um, and, and he did very well with that group. And, and my biggest concern is when it goes wrong, there's always another flavour of the month. When Checker was going wrong, Rennie's the Messiah. He's not the Messiah. He's a normal person trying to do his very best as a coach. And, but, but, but Checker was the Messiah. Mm, absolutely. The Messiah. And bringing back Eddie was the Messiah. You know, yeah. There isn't one. There is not one guy who can come and fix Australian rugby. Yeah. And so that's where, that's where we need to be sensible and proportionate in our decision making, because if you're disproportionate, it gets really, really expensive. Keep paying people out yeah. and bringing in new people. I think the other thing that that concerns me is every time we bring in a new head coach, we bring in an entirely new support staff. Mm-hmm. So there doesn't seem to be any memory at all. The analysts change, the the um, you know the assistant coaches change. Mm. You know, every every one of the entire organisation seems to turn over, and then we start again. And then sometimes if you keep doing that, you keep making the same mistakes again and again and again. And it, it seems like something that, you know, New Zealand doesn't do. They're, they're picking their next coach from one of their assistants and, you know, trickling through coaches rather than starting fresh every time. Yeah, or, or you, look at, you look at 07 and they stuck with Henry. Yeah. Mm. You know, the people, when they did that, people were like, you're insane, right? But they learned from their mistakes in 07. They had, I remember they had Wayne Bennett come in and say to them, never pick people out of position. Yeah. That's suicide. They never do that again. 
you know, and and they, you know, they were a better team in eleven. They were a better team again in fifteen. They did they did brilliantly well, and and that group then sort of like dissipated away and retired. There was there was so many caps on the team in fifteen, it's ridiculous. So, oh, yeah. of course, you're going to get nineteen. Um, my my biggest concern with New Zealand is they don't seem to know who their centres are. Yeah. Um, we, I do. Who are they? ALB and Goodhue? Well, I, it, it's just whatever, what, what I always say is when we had Bernie at the Brumbies, yeah. the Waratahs had 15 different number 10s. Right? <laughs> it doesn't matter which one you decide. Yeah. Just decide yeah. one of them is the one and stick with that guy. Yeah. yeah. Whether it's Mackay or Edmonds or uh, I was going to say Tim Wallace, that's a bit earlier. Um, we just, they just never decided. And so that was, that was their problem. And so Bernie would just laugh. It's like, oh, another one. Yeah. I am. Um, I, I think one, my next question is, I mean, this makes sense. I've listened to a lot of you know, pods with you talking about it. It makes a lot of sense, but I mean, is it, is it common for coaches out there to, to come chat to you guys in rugby? I know, I know you, you're working with AFL, you know, state of origin teams, NRL, you know, plus teams overseas. Is it common for, you know, super rugby teams in, in Australia or is it, you know, coaches in, at Wallabies level to come chat to you guys about cohesion numbers and, and how to move forward with this? Or is, is this still so foreign for them? Um, most guys, most guys, so I think we've worked with seven or eight super rugby teams over time yeah. in, a, you know, in some sort of form, like a paid, paid piece of work. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'd say to you is that, that sometimes you'll be talking with a coach and they'll say, I understand what you're saying, but I don't have permission for that right now. Yeah. I have to basically, my focus on, I've been told by the board I need to win eight games or I need to win 10 games. Yeah. And so that creates its own problem because then you're going to make decisions based on the now. Yeah. Right? So the difficulty with boards is, 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 I was thinking about this the other day, it's almost like never have you got people so unqualified to decide on the skill set of somebody who is so qualified. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, it, and so, so what they tend to do is they don't tend to want to get involved until they're embarrassed, and then they'll come in and go, "Well, they did this and they did this and they made these mistakes, and therefore we don't think he's a very good coach." But when they're winning, they're like, "Oh, we'll just keep my distance. I'm really happy how this is going." So the difficulty for us is who do we have the conversation with? Because if we say if we say to a coach, "Listen, we think the choices you're making here in terms of your list management are actually sending you." in a bit of a difficult path. And after you leave, this might create some problems for the club. Why, why should he care? Right? Like, cause he's trying to hold on to his job. Mm. So the, 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 for us, it's more about saying to the board, you know, you can't just completely hand over this, the reins to this person. If they're going to do, you know, make good decisions now, but bad decisions for the club in the long term, like bankrupting the club, buying so much talent in, setting up your contracts in a, in a way which is entirely built around winning now and not winning tomorrow, you know, not having sustainable success. I mean, we know when you sign a player in from somewhere else, we talk a lot about sign one, lose three. So you'll gain one player, you'll bring him in, but maybe two or three juniors will bugger off because they're like, well, if you're not going to look at me, I'll go. So that doesn't hurt you now. It hurts you two or three years down the track. Yeah. So, so all of those decisions need to really be thought not so much about the, by the coach, they need to be thought about by the CEO, they need to be thought about by the board, about what, what, what do we want to control, what does the DOR or the director of rugby want to control, what does the coach want to control, and you actually want to set up 
where the coach is not the most important person in the organization. Yep. They don't look that way, but it's actually more around the way in which the thing is built and, and governed and the success will come off the back of that. I mean, Australia's Ferguson and man, you barely coached. Mm. He just, he just sat up in his office and looked down and would get up and go to the bathroom and all the players panic, you know, cause they think he's coming down to yell at them, but it was really about a sustainable system. Yeah. that was going to build something and, and, we need to, I think in Australia, obviously my massive level of bias is we need to be thinking more generationally about our setups in Australia. How do we make the Waratahs more successful? I make the Brumbies and the Reds more successful over time. And what's going to, what's going to put us in a position of sustainably, um, you know, success, not commercial decisions, not, not next World Cup. We need to think about two or three World Cup cycles. Yeah. So uh, we obviously talked about how poor the rating of the current Wallaby side is for cohesion. Is there anything off field that you would suggest teams should be doing to try and accelerate that rate of cohesion, or is it just it's simply time together on the field? No, it's it's not even. It's definitely not time together on the field. I mean, that's it's one small component. But but really interestingly, this year. Um, so with COVID, a couple of interesting things happened. So with the NRL, there was two teams who were basically locked in camp the entire time. One was the Warriors, the other one was Melbourne Storm. Yeah. They both improved dramatically as a season. With the Storm, it's very hard to pick that up because they're winning all the time anyway. Yeah. And the Victorian teams who both played in the grand final were the same thing in the AFL. So that, so And some, a lot of the coaches actually commented on that, that that time together was helping, sort of like time in the restaurant, you know, time... You know, and that was a little bit of an advantage of the Brumbies. We all lived together. So we were going over plays at the cafe and kind of those little combinations. Yep. Just um, put the Wallabies in lockdown, basically. Yeah, well, Move I mean, there's, there's about, we've looked at about 20 or 30 things that we believe Australian rugby can do. But one of them, for example, would be get Australia A playing a lot more. Yeah. Australia A would be a massive help because it bridges the gap that we have at the moment between the five into the into the wallabies mm. and getting that i mean i know it's incredibly expensive process but getting that team playing and that's been a huge advantage new zealand maori new zealand a has been playing a, a lot in the last 20 years um and having having them play the same way as the wallabies are playing so there's playing together that's one component there's playing the same you know the way that rennie wants them to play getting 10 games into those guys because that's where that's where you know they could be building that understanding about the system before they make a test debut against the All Blacks. Yeah. Possible. So I'd, I'd say that's one component. Um, and the, the, the other thing I was, I, I, just, I made sort of comment on Twitter the other day that I would have got a bit of huge impact on Australian rugby and feel free to laugh at me, but it was getting, getting CHS 10 more games every year. No, I did see that. Because <laughs> basically I, I played at CAS. Yeah. And we would, we would all lose every game to GPS and then almost beat GPS as CAS because we were dominated by a couple of club, couple of schools. Yeah, then yeah. Play CHS who were 50 or 100 schools thrown together and then they would be annihilated and then those kids would give up playing or not go any further. If you could just get, say, four or five of those guys interested enough in rugby to then go and play for New South Wales uh, schools. Yeah. Cause they, and, and if you look at, you know, there was a team a long time ago. I mean, uh, it was Eddie Jones's old high school. Um, yep. uh, what was the name of it? Um, at Randwick. And they had Lloyd Walker. They had Eddie Jones. They had 
the other brothers just get absolutely going to kill me. So a little um, bit of a prodigy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and but they, they, they together then beat jo- Joey's. They then went on to New South Wales schools. Yeah. Um, uh, right, it starts with an M and I should yes. remember. Uh, Matraville. Matraville. So, so that, was a, that was a freak set of occurrences. Brothers is the greatest type of cohesion you can have. That always helps. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so, so, you know, if you could replicate, not Matraville, but at least getting CHS more time together, I think that would really help get more high school guys through that process. Whereas the, I, think, I think they would find it quite disheartening making New South Wales CHS coming out and then just, you know, it's, it's so, def- so hard defensively when you're thrown together like they are. Yeah, I am. Together a, di- a good side. You've raised a really strange question I've never thought about, but there's so much talk about, you know, getting rugby to a broader base, you know, into more schools, things like that. Is it actually better to just have it in private schools? You've got less people playing it. Those less people then will trickle into the super rugby teams and then trickle into the Wallabies. If you start to create a bigger base, does that mean you've got less likely to have that cohesion because you've got a broader a broader base or is it not does it not work out by the time they make super rugby it's it's you know negligible what school they went together i mean generally generally i mean what it, what what cohesion does sometimes is it makes the people look better than they are yeah certainly the case with me like like i was you know that cas team i think we had five barker guys that went in and therefore that was a huge <laughs> hand, you know hand up into the into the, the teams above so that is one of the problems with cohesion is, is people appear to be better or worse than they are. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you look at, say, the 99, I think only Andrew Blades was the only high school player in that team. Yep. We've, we've had success generally through the 80s and the 90s off the back of large private school groups. Yeah. Um, but, but it's not so much together. It's more as though, um, you know, a small amount of clubs – into Queensland. The thing that affected Australian rugby the most was the Reds started playing a lot of games in the mid-70s. Yep. Like, basically, from 1880 to 1970, the Reds and the Waratahs played four games a year, except in the 1920s when New Queensland rugby collapsed. Yep. And then, then um, so New South Wales played as Australia, and they toured New Zealand, like, two or three times in that decade. Played, like, 30, 40 games. And then we started beating the All Blacks. We went from 11% winning record to 35%. So collapse one rugby union and you think we do worse. We actually did much better. And it wasn't like the Reds guys came down. So so we basically went 11%. The 20s went up to 30%. Back down to 11% up until the 70s. And then so basically we were not coming from 30 clubs anymore in the 70s. We were coming from New South Wales, Queensland. And and a a good way to describe this is that, um, you know, uh, Sterling uh, Morlock asked me the other day, um, is this the first time a 10-12s ever debuted together? And it, it wasn't. That first time that ever happened was um, not, not Hapworth against Fiji in 85. Yeah. Right? Mm. But six of that backline were New South Wales players. So they weren't really debuting for Australia. They were just playing as the New South Wales Waratahs backline with yellow jerseys on. Yeah. yeah. So that's a very different scenario that's why it was so much easier back then to debut than it is now. I think that's a great idea. I think we should shut down all the Super Rugby clubs and just have the New South Wales Waratahs. <laughs> I think that's uh, you heard it here first, everyone. Um, no, I think I think you're bang on. I, I, I speak to if you speak to a lot of Super Rugby players, um, some of their fondest rugby memories uh, and some of the most passion they've had has been their high school first fifteen, because it is just that six years. Generally, it's guys you've gone to school with for six to twelve years. 
and um, you know some of your closest friendships have formed at that time. It's that kind of next level of cohesion, I think. But um, what well, I guess a good good question leading on from that joke is jokes aside about just just uh, just having the Waratahs. Uh, have we done much better since the force have have left? And should we should we go down one more site? You know, um, um, should we get rid of the rebels? I know you uh, you you coach the rebels, but um, I guess and the you, force. Yeah, and, and that's right, and the force, of course, yeah. Controversial, but yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, fundamentally, fundamentally, it's whether it can happen, and the way in which the constitution of Australia rugby is now built is it can't happen. <clears throat> Since, since I think post twenty eleven, the way the voting system is basically built is you, is it's is, is just that it will not take place that, that, to remove the, to remove teams by their own decision making okay. uh, unless something it, it becomes absolutely financial. Yeah. Um, and and the difficulty that I find with the constitution is that no one in a rugby Australia votes for Australian rugby. Yeah. All the voting is based on either Rupa, which is yeah. which has my needs, and then each individual state. So that is the, and I remember discussing with somebody at the Brumbies about, you know, the number of teams and, and, and his immediate response was, don't ever mention that to those bastards in New South Wales and Queensland because they'll be, they'll be all over us like a rash. Yeah. And so all of a sudden it just reverted to that sort of parochialism. Yeah, yeah. And I would say, it's like saying to people, um, you've got too many kids. Could you get rid of two of them? Right? <laughs> yeah. so, so we have the situation we have. I mean, from a cohesion perspective, Yes. When, when, mm. when Wales did it, when Ireland did it, when Scotland have done it, they've gotten better. Mm. When Argentina did it, the problem is they didn't bring everybody back. Yeah. So what they did is they took a test team, they cut it in half, the European guys stayed in Europe, and they went back. And so half the team went back to the Haguaris. Mm. But each year the Haguaris existed. Better. Argentina got a little bit better, and the Haguaris got a little bit better. So they went ninth, seventh, fifth, second, second. And then, and then Argentina got about 2 or 3% better every year. Yeah. The difficulty for them is they need another tier below Argentina. Mm. And, and once they moved away from their starting 15, they dropped off a cliff. And I think one of the difficulties they had in 19 in the World Cup is they brought a guy back from Europe who mm. never played with any of them. Yeah. Mm. That's where you need, I think, a second team is definitely preferable. And, mm. then, and then we talk a lot about singularity. So where the Waratahs have always struggled compared to the Brumbies and the Crusaders... Is, is a team playing under them together. So the Brumbies had the Kookaburras. Yep. It was our advantage at the start. The, the, the Crusaders mm. have uh, Canterbury and then Lincoln University and then Crosschurch Boys High School. Like, it's just... <laughs> yeah. Cool, right? um, and, then, and then you remember the Bulls when they've got themselves together. So I think it's... I've quoted this before on one of the podcasts, but it's like 27% of all games are played by teams built that way. But 78% of the titles are built by teams built that way. I mean, it, like the, Chiefs, the, Reds, the Reds didn't have it, but Crusaders, the Bulls, the Hurricanes, when they won it, um, you know, where they all were built in a certain way, which was basically this kind of this, this construction where people come up and through. Can you, can you talk to um, <clears throat> the flip side of that argument, which is, England's success with their club system and how many clubs they have, and yet they've been, you know, relatively speaking, very successful. And oh, well, I mean, two thousand three is a while ago. <laughs> so, so if you look at if you look at 03, um, the best way to, the best way to talk about that is in order for England to win, they need to build across about eight years. Yep. 
right? They, you know, if you if you look at the, the the way, so the England team that took the field in the final against Australia had the same amount of cohesion as Australia did, yep. but about eighty percent of theirs was coming playing for England, so they had to be literally on their last legs as I don't know forty five year olds together <laughs> in order for them to do well, right? Yeah. Whereas Australia, we were getting it out of the Brumbies, we got it out of the Reds, so you could automatically put it together like that. So, so mm. England, England and, and if you're talking about a player pool, if, if we went by player pools, England and France would never lose. Yeah, yeah. And when, when you don't have cohesion, and that was basically the Six Nations in the 90s, England and France just won it ad nauseum. Bang, 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 bang. It, it, now, what has happened since is the Pro 14 built itself similar to Super Rugby, three or four clubs per country, and that's made them competitive. If you went by player numbers and how they did say in the under, you know, if you want to look at if a country's good at a sport, look at the under 20s and the women's, because mm. those two don't really include enough cohesion, and England dominate in the women's, they dominate in the under 20s, same as New Zealand do, and that's simply by player numbers. If you look at football, for example, it's Brazil, Spain, Germany, whereas, like, Wales do well in international football, that does not make any sense, or Iceland doing well. The thing that gives them a shot of a tiny player base is cohesion. So we talk about, we talk, say skill times cohesion equals capacity. England have got, you know, one of the numbers quoted is one and a half million players. I don't think it's that many, but let's say they've got 800,000. We might have conservatively without double or triple counting as we've tended to do, 70,000, something like that. What, it, what, what used to be our advantage is we were, we were, 200% more cohesive than everybody else, which we're no longer. So if you have the same amount of players pooled and you have more cohesion, you'll be more successful. If you have less players and you're as cohesive as everyone else, you'll be annihilated. You, you yeah. lose. What yeah. you want is some form of advantage. For us to build up a, a bigger player base in our environment would cost massive amounts of money up against the AFL, who have literally billions of dollars to throw at the problem. Yep. Um, and the NRL that has billions of dollars of poker machine money to throw at the problem. <laughs> so we can't try to grow our way out of it. We have to find another way to do it to make ourselves um, uh, uh, competitive. So what I'd say to you, the, the answer to your question is England do do well, but comparative to their player pool, they, they do struggle. But where they do very well, you'll notice is that they do well in World Cups when they get time together, they usually mm -hmm. don't. Yeah. So, you know, they make finals, they made a lot of finals. Whereas the Irish, which are very cohesive, two years out, they're number one in the world. Mm. They want to struggle in World Cups because everyone catches up to them. Yeah. Um, so England, two years after the World Cup, were 50% down on where they were in the final. Whereas Ireland, two years out, were pretty much exactly the same as they were in the World Cup. Mm. They're just sitting up here all the time. Whereas England, with, you know, England... What you would want with England coming into World Cups is, is chaos and injuries, which is exactly what happened in um, uh, 2015. Yeah. 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 Um, sort, of, sort of bringing it back to the Bledisloe, if we're looking at game four, are there enough changes in the All Blacks for us to stand a chance? <laughs> made a, a lot of changes. You couldn't get through um, that question without laughing, Nelson. <laughs> so so, so um, they haven't made as many as we have, and they... Yeah, um, but but there's a there's a there's a very big difference between um, strength of understanding and a catastrophic lack of understanding. Yeah, what you want is is some kind of injury or change 
that creates a catastrophic lack of understanding in the wrong place. Yeah. Okay. So it happens in, if we, I apologize to bring rugby league into it, it happened for Queensland in um, like 2015 state of origin. They lost Cooper Cronk. And so they brought in Cherry Evans, who'd never played with any of their spine. That was perfect. That was enough to derail them, right? So, so when we lost Tamua in that first test or second test? Second, second yeah. That was, well, this killer position for that. Oh, I'd yeah. like to say it's three. It's not three, it's 12, right? So, so losing a 12. So what you want, I mean, you look at, you look at the New Zealand team in, in that game against Ireland in Chicago. Yeah. They had two things. One, they had Kano at five which is a player desperately out of position. Yeah. It's two, 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 I think was having a kid. All, their, all of them just fell over in this lovely set of coincidences. And you had um, a dramatic lack of understanding in the centre pairing. You want that yep. as well. Mm. So two things go wrong. So if that goes wrong in terms of injuries or changes, that could be enough for us if it's in the wrong spot. And you need it to be somewhere very central. Okay. Somewhere they defend a lot. Because mm. you, what you want is massive levels of ambiguity. And per, per, preferably... I'm trying to think where we need it. <laughs> but, we, we, but what you've also got to do is you've also got to have the weaponry to take advantage of it. Yeah. Mm. And the difficulty we've got is we've got a 10 who has not run a backline enough. So, mm. you know, when we look at it, when we look at two teams, you say, right, they have a lack of understanding, but this opposition has what it takes to, to take it away from you. Mm. What you tend to have when you have a nine, 10 that's never played together um, is you, you tend to have difficulty with your timing, mm. you know, so, so getting forward momentum, yep. you tend to be catching the ball on the back foot and the other guys in the back line don't know when to come off it and to sort of swing around and get themselves in the right position. I mean, you think about that try in uh, the world cup, you know, game against England in 15, when, you know, Foley came around the other way, Beal was coming around with him. Mm. They just knew that yep. so well. And they, they set it up minutes before yeah. um, to make that play. That takes a lot of work. And particularly when you become unstructured, when Australia becomes unstructured at the moment, we tend to really lose our way. And when you've got a 10 that's never played 10 before, that's what tends to, to, to really... Yeah. You know, the best team in the world when things are unstructured is the Crusaders because they, they all know their role to get things moving again. Yep. And, and even though they play, like, I remember talking to Robbie Deans, he said, we only run three patterns. Yeah, but my god, they're really good at those three patterns. Yeah, yeah. The Crusaders are like kind of like the you know Hydra, or whatever. You cut off one head, two more grow back. When they, when they get a, a yellow card, they seem to play even better. It's just like mm-hmm. they've trained so well at being a man down that that uh, they step up a notch and turn it on you somehow. The only team that's able to do that. It's crazy. I think the thing about that is, if if you have a team that that you know the, the, the area where the Crusaders struggles their first five rounds because they get the All Blacks back so late. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, we've seen that in a number of different competitions. So that's one little thing that does affect them. But if you don't have an entirely new team every year, what you can do is say, okay, now we're going to make this small change to mm. improve this play. If, if you're, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not bagging on them, but if you're the Rebels, you know, October, November, December, January is, hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. Here are the patterns we're going to be doing. And that's from the coach because the new coach has come in and changed everything himself, you know? So, so what, what the Crusaders are able to do is to build on something, build on something, build on something, build on something. And they get to the level of detail over time. And it's, although it's very, very simple detail, but they get to a high level of intricacy within the context of detail. 
Whereas clubs that are always moving and changing, it's like they have to start again every year. You know, and I remember the, I remember the first preseason we had with the Rebels. It was chaos. Same with the force. You, you throw a team together, you get chaos. Yeah. Mm. Needs to move on from that. <clears throat> Needs to move on from that chaos. And that's the thing with the, with the, um, the, the, the Crusaders is that even if they're new to the Crusaders, they've still been playing the same thing at Canterbury. And, you know, a couple of years ago, that's one thing that Razor really did is they made sure Canterbury was playing the same way and Tasman's with a lot of aspects of their play. That is the Crusaders. So they already know it when they rock in. Yeah. You know, and it's pretty easy when 13 of your teammates are there anyway. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's unfair. It's absolutely unfair. Speaking about um, the Bledisloe this week. The so I'm in- mindful that we could, we could keep oh, going on and talk to him. I'll go while uh, Craig's is, is dropping out. Um, so cohesion is what it is this week. What are the tactics? Are there tactics that the Wallabies can try and use to try and, I guess, overcome that deficit a little bit more? It's pretty obvious from their, their team that they've got a few huge boots in the team. Um, they've got some really straight runners. Nick White's your experienced man in the back line. Like, how, how do the Wallabies approach a game, tactically speaking, to try and overcome this cohesive deficit? So generally what happens with, with and I, sometimes I do get sick of the word cohesion, I've got to say, like, <laughs> what happens with this type of scenario is the more fatigued you get, the worse it gets. Yeah. So the more you just revert back because you just completely forget everything you learned that week. Yeah. And if you're 60 minutes in and you're just... So, so the first thing you want to do is to slow everything down as much as you can so you have time to think and to, to like, what did we learn this week? What did we do? So you want to slow it down as much as you can um, and make the, 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 the amount of play as short as you can. So, you know, 60-second bites, um, large amounts of times on, um, you know, video replays if required, a few fake injuries here and there. Um, that could be one way to be able to do it. The second thing you, you want to be able to do, to, I mean, and New Zealand is not, is not, you know, and I'm actually, we're still waiting for the numbers to come through because the team gets announced. It takes like 12 hours to run the system. But what, what you want to do also is you want to, is, you, is if you've got people for, for the All Blacks who are out of position or you've got guys who haven't necessarily played together is try to create ambiguity between them. Yeah. And try to get them to do things they haven't done before. Yeah. Right? If you look at a team like the Crusaders, the only way realistically to beat the Crusaders is to take them somewhere to try to get them to do something they've never done them before. Because if you're doing stuff they've, that everyone else has tried to get them before, they're just so used to it, it's not a problem. Yeah. So that would, that would be, you know, the, the first part. There's, there's the other component that you talked about is playing to your strengths. So obviously Hodge has got a massive boot. Mm. You know, you know playing, playing um, where we don't have any structure out of our own half is not going to be his strength. Yeah. So basically just play to the corners. The, the difficulty is, do we have the defensive line out to be able to do that? Mm. You know, do we have that? And, and that's one of the difficulties is that we also have a, a set piece that lacks, you know, understanding between guys yeah. and getting a read and getting a lot of experience. I mean, maybe Rob Simmons is going to be part of that componentry that we hear gives us a little bit more line-out experience to maybe be able to take them on. Yeah. Uh, you know, we don't have a Nathan Sharp that we used to have. It's just... You know, he and Matfield were just so much further ahead of everybody else. Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, we're going beyond my knowledge of the game if we're going to talk about the tactical component, but I would definitely say play to your strengths, slow the damn thing down as much as you can, 
Yep. And and for both teams, uh, their reserves are not. They're, they're they're debuting a lot of guys. Yeah. So you want to get their guys debuting on as much as you can, and particularly in the um, in the midfield. For sure. Um, I was going to say, I'm mindful we, we're keeping you on for, for a long time. Um, and we, I mean, we can talk about it. I've got four kids at home, so I'm very happy I'm at the office. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, look, um, I guess I, I wanted to uh, kind of wrap up, talk, we'll wrap it, start wrapping it up, talking with, uh, with two questions. One is, uh, and I guess we kind of just touched on that, but what, what was the most important things for the Wallabies to do this week? And I think you just said, keep it simple uh, and play territory. Um, but Perhaps if we finish it up with some um, some listener questions, just speaking more broadly. So a listener we had um, asked a question, with the Wallabies, uh, what is the most important position that we need to lock down and really quickly? Obviously, we've got a lot of changes happening. Yes. You know, is, it, is it number 10? Is it 12? Like, What do we need to lock down to stick as soon as possible? Craig, you, you did forget to mention uh, who that, that was. It's Mitch Evans, you mean, our, our favourite listener, mate. Sorry, that's... Mitch Evans, 94. Longest time listener. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so there's a there's a there's a long answer to this as a short answer. Short answer, short answer is twelve. Well, yeah. But the, what I always say about tight head prop is tight head prop is like a sewage pipe. You only notice them and they're not working. <laughs> right? So so if if and and we are so blessed now. Um, you know when it was myself and Fletch and Al, we turn around and you know like the next person was our kids off the. Uh, <laughs> Really, we really struggled for depth at that point, and so now we don't have that issue. It's kind of interesting for me in the through 15, sorry, through 2019, we were much actually more stable at our forward pack than we were at our back line. And by the end of the World Cup, I thought our forward pack was actually going quite well. We now have very competitive scrum, it's not regarded as, as the debacle it was, let's say, 03 period. Um, you know, and and we've we've really improved in that area. Um, so, so. It's not having, um, like, like front row is one of those positions. It's much more technical and is about understanding. Mm. Um, but if you if you don't have a, if you have a hooker, and if you've ever seen it when a hooker completely blanches, like just loses the plot, doesn't know the calls, that can just throw everything off because it stuffs their scrummaging, it stuffs their your attack line out. All of a sudden, you have to change the way you play. And so if you've got a hooker who's, who's panicked and doesn't quite know the calls, it, that can change the entire dynamic of a game in, in two minutes. Yep. Yep. That's going wrong. That's a massive problem. My concern is we do seem to be going through hookers quite regularly. That's not a term I should repeat. Quoting <laughs> 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 that, that is an image for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, we, we do seem to be rotating through um, those guys pretty regularly. And, and my biggest concern out of all of this is we need to decide, you know, soonish, 10, 12, 13. Yeah. And I, I don't know where that picture's at. Yeah. And, and, and you made a comment earlier, we need to find combinations. You don't find combinations, you make them. Yeah. Yeah. Well a very big difference. Yeah. And it's, it, it's interesting when you're talking about that. I mean, we, we have options, right? Like, we could go... Maybe not the Tars because we don't necessarily have a, a lot of depth that's shown that they can play well. But you look at the Reds, if if our combination is going to be James O'Connor and we're taking him to the next World Cup and you got Paisami and Patea, they're three very talented guys. If we can get the cohesion there, 
that that looks pretty solid. Or if it's the fact that we're going, you know, the other way of the Brumbies and it's Alessio, Simone and whoever's playing 13 for the next three years, it's, it's definitely there. Like, they're not only... Because I know when you talk about Lenny performance... Lenny Iquitao. I know, I know when you talk about performance, it's not... It's your your ability or, or whatever it is, your, the, the roof of how good you can perform is your cohesion times your talent. And I mean, there's some talented guys there. So the big thing is just is just the cohesion, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, in simple terms. Yeah, definitely. And and the difficulty is, is that... So so if, if the way that we look at things, we give them a number, right? So let's say you're a two out of 10 and you're playing an eight out of 10. Yep. And so let's say, let's say All Blacks in 2015 were a, were a 10 out of 10, now they're a six and we're a three. But when six plays a three, you should lose by 30. Yep. That's yep. where we're at. What you need to do is look for what's good in that 30-point loss, as awful as that might sound, because we don't have, we can't put together a six right now. Yeah. We're capable of that. We have to work our way towards a six. Is, That's the problem. We don't have that in the bank. Is, is a, I, I, it might be too far out of the, the realm of actually cohesion. But, you know, we, we versed the All Blacks so regularly that is there some form of cohesion in the way where you know your enemy, you know your opposition, you know, like they, they know us very well. So they're going to be able to stop what we can bring, you know, much more than England who we verse occasionally or anything like that when we turn up at a Rugby World Cup. And I suppose it goes vice versa as well. But is there something to that in cohesion where if you know your opposition as well? I think the difficulty is, is that we've turned over our group so much. Yeah. And now we're functioning under a different coach. We are another team in gold jerseys than we were. So, so in that, in that say three to seven period or, you know, even 99 to 07 period, you know, they knew Gitto, they knew Mertz, they knew those guys and they could look at their strengths and weaknesses. And, and there's definitely, we're actually looking at, at trying to build that understanding of how much have you played against somebody to know, yeah. you know how much there is. But, but we are not, other than on some individual basis, we have not been together so much and they have not been together so much that we have a good understanding of them, but that will come. That will definitely come. And, and um, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a case over the next three or four years is we have to continue to build and so we have to stop at some point and say, right, these are the guys. And whether we win or whether we lose, we, we need to build with those guys and build towards something. What you don't want to be doing is making decisions the year of the World Cup. Yeah. Mm. You know, I, I, was, um, I was looking at the 03 World Cup. <clears throat> and we didn't decide until the quarterfinal who the centres were in 03. Mm. You know, because they were dealing with Rogers. They were trying to put Rogers into the back line. So we ended up putting him a fullback. And so we got, we, we got to Flatley and Mortlock at the quarters. That's too late. You generally want to be doing that, you know, two years early. Yep. We've, got, um, we've got a couple of listener questions. And, and as you're well aware, we did ask them who, who they <laughs> thought would be coming on to the podcast. So I just want to brief that we didn't actually give that away. And I wanted to give a shout out to Mr. Rugby World Cup for uh, his depiction and confirming that it was actually Ned Hannigan. We, <laughs> I, <laughs> I hope you've had a chance to see on Twitter because I just thought it was too funny. Um, a tremendous amount of weight. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, look, the, so this question may have been for Ned Hannigan, but uh, I've, I've got another one from at Rugby Fixation uh, and I, I'll be interested to hear your thoughts. If Hooper was unavailable, 
what's the most well-rounded back row we could name? And is it worth giving this a go despite his unmatchable work rate? It is, it is in terms of um, that you, what you don't want is you don't want a Larkin type scenario. We had no seven, whereas Larkin was out and we didn't have anything there to back it up. Mm, yeah. We had to go with Beric Barnes. It was like a makeshift. You, you, you want a system that is actually able to, like the All Blacks did in, in 2011, have two, three, four guys that if <laughs> yeah. you have to pull upon them, you can still be able to pull it off and to be successful. Um, I don't, you know, we, we don't realistically have an open side that's able to play with that type of balance. What we've, what we've lacked in Australian rugby is um, as a back row, and this is an area I probably know the least about, but interestingly, we find seven to be the position that actually requires the least amount of um, cohesion because they just basically act independently. They're not part of the defensive line all the time. So if you look at George Smith, George Smith could, other than seam defence, where he got a bit lost when he came back in the 13 line series, everything else, he's just straight onto the ball brilliantly because he's basically making all the judgments defensively as this rock, I go in, I go out, I don't do it. So, so seven is really about turnover skill. Yep. Where Pocock and Hooper are really smart is not how many rucks they go into, but how many they don't go into. They're getting better and better, particularly Hooper's getting better at knowing when to go in and when not to. I remember looking at Hodgson when he was at the force. He was going into two or three times the rucks that yeah. George Pocock was, but getting about the same amount of turnovers. Mm. Um, and that was always good for George because he was just come last on the beep test. You know, so him and Kef, they just weren't the fittest, but they were most yeah. effective. Um, sorry, my point was going to be, what we've lacked in Australia is Fardy. Yeah. We, Fardy used to make mm. 40 or 50 cleanouts a game mm. and two or three runs at best and a couple of lineouts. But the guys who can do that, just, just, you know, Rocky was not a big one on cleanouts. Generally, he was the guy who was more of a carry. Yeah. To be modeled. So Fardy basically made up for that and he was at, at the ruck with such a high level of frequency. And that's something you don't notice until you're turning the ball over. Yeah. So, so what we really lack is that not only the height, but somebody who can make those cleans to give us that little bit of balance, but that fitted well within that back row of that, of that period of time. Yep. But I mean, I'd have to, I'd have to look at it more, um, in terms of what do we have at hand, but we don't have anybody outside of Hooper that can make the right choices. Yeah. To so we'd have to build it from a better balanced perspective. What I would love to have is a, is a line-out background. Yeah. I know line-outs aren't as important as they used to be, but it'd be good to be able to have that as a defensive option at least. Well, we don't even jump defensively anymore, so... <laughs> Maybe we've got too, too many locks. We, we have improved... <laughs> <laughs> like in a weird way, I don't know what, what your thoughts are. We, we don't have a backup lock on the weekend, do we? We got Hannigan. <laughs> so, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> your response is exactly. Look, I mean, you know what it reminds me? It reminds me of. Do you remember the test where Al Baxter got absolutely belted? Oh, I remember. Do you remember O five? Yeah, yeah, r- vaguely. Okay, so do you know who the right side lock was for that game? No. So we our back row from memory was war. Row Smith. Yeah, I do remember that. And right, the right the, and the right side lock was McMenamin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember this team. And and McMenamin was a six. He was a reserve six Cobain style. You know, he'll push yeah, if yeah. he has to, but don't get him starting. 
because Sharp, Sharp preferred to play four, even mm. though he's built like a right side lock. So if I'm Al Baxter turning around, I'm going, oh my God, I'm up against Sheridan. <laughs> like, like I know he got a panned over that, but and it was so great to see him a couple of years later come back and they, they put yeah. on because he improved so dramatically. But I just felt for him so badly because if I was turning around, I, I would have just walked off the field. I'm sorry, I'm done. Yeah, I'm off. Yeah, you don't want to turn around and see Hannigan this week as as the guy behind you in lock. He's not a not an international quality lock, I don't think. And th- that was, you know, that was the the difficulty for England, you know, in that final was they didn't weren't really carrying a starting a right side lock, and then you had um, uh, who went down in the first two minutes. Um, so it ended up it ended up with Cole coming on. Yeah, and Cole, Cole had at best thirty minutes in him. Yeah, you know, and he's probably starting the game thinking I'm feeling pretty fresh. Yeah, and they've said, right, you're on. After two minutes, you just would have gone. Okay. <laughs> and if you look at the last two tries, he and um, uh, the loose head were both. They were the two defenders on those wings when they the two tries went around them. You just Carl Sinclair, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, so Sinclair came off after two minutes. Yeah. yeah. Then Cole just would have been thinking, oh, my God. And they didn't bring Cruis, I think, on until later. Yeah. And they just were getting absolutely smashed. And, and there's this nightmare you have when you're a prop, which is when the opposition knocks the ball on. Yeah. <laughs> like generally, generally, you're excited. And I, I had this once against Marius Mostert when I was like 22, 23, and he was like 6'4 and 140 kilos in the packs. <laughs> James Bolton was the hooker. And every time... Every time they would drop the ball, that back line would cheer. And I was like, oh, fuck. And the difficulty is, you know, when you're a young player, like if you're Gitto, you're getting, you know, if you, if, you know Gitto was, a, was, was extremely talented as a young guy, so you could always outplay your opposition, right? Because yeah. you don't have to be, as a 12, you don't have to be stronger. You can be faster. That's your advantage. When you're 23 and you're up against another prop who's old enough to be your dad, <laughs> yeah, yeah, too bad. Strength, what you're basically doing is you're basically starting in the wrestle position. Yeah. Like when I wrestle with my eight-year-old son, like I'm going to win. <laughs> and that's the problem is that I'm up against two of them. <laughs> There's nothing I can do. And it just, they just keep bringing me in nice and close and laughing at me. <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible in a game knowing you're going to be... Uh, like I get Dave Fiddy used to say props, yeah. Props have to be mentally really like just sadomasochistic masochistic almost. Like they have to be yeah. they have to, they're gonna there's a lot of suffering to become a good prop. Yeah. And it's so weird two two minutes into a game knowing you're going to be destroyed for seventy eight minutes. And there's nothing about it. So that would be yeah, that would be the nightmare for Australia. And this is this is not casting aspersions on Ned Hannigan. Mm. He's a wonderful player. Mm. But Everyone's suited to different things. Yeah. And I'm sure he's going to do everything he can. So this is what I always try to say in my work. It's got nothing to do with whether people are good or bad. He's just not necessarily suited to 80 minutes at lock. Yeah, yeah. At right side lock. And that, that would be a difficulty for us. Sure. I think you've, you've certainly confirmed for me, um, obviously it's been great uh, having you on the podcast, but we've got to get more props on uh, just to take enough credit. We, really. only, we um, only get props as guests, mate. <laughs> we've got a couple more props lined up. What do you mean, Greg's? 
That's true, but we we need to just stick with just getting props on. That's uh, <laughs> now, so, you, mate, my wife, my wife, um, so I hadn't seen, seen uh, you know, Dave Fitter. Yeah. yeah. So we knew each other since Newcastle. And um, and so so I caught up with him here in Melbourne. This is about sort of 10 years ago. We hadn't seen each other in a while. So my wife came home, came into the backyard to find he and I both semi-nude <laughs> on, on our knees, scrummaging against each other in the backyard. <laughs> and she's like, what are you two doing? a little bit greased up, you know, just <laughs> yeah. like, so I just miss it a bit and it's just nice to, to go up and get reminiscing. Someone. Yeah, yeah, reminiscing about the old days. That's great. Yeah. I think every, yeah, every prop has a story like that, just uh, take, taking the kid off and um, <laughs> throw it down. <laughs> um, all right, well, look, I think what I'll do is I'll, um, I might wrap, up, wrap us up with, uh, I'll leave you with one last final and really easy question. Um, essentially, if you were the CEO of Australia, of the RU, of Australian rugby, what would be the most important things that you would implement in terms of setting us off in the right direction? You know, um, we, are we talking the NRC? I think you mentioned earlier Australia A, which I think is a brilliant idea, as expensive as it is. Uh, what, what's the, the critical things that you would do? So, so the difficulty with... If, if I put together a plan, it would never be achievable. Because of the, the, the stakeholders in play Ooh. about what's, what would be needed to be done. Yeah. But what I would do is take the focus off, you know, if, if you go and read the Constitution, there's two things that, that, that they have in there. One of them is a national footprint. Mm. That's one goal. The other is competitive internationally and competitive super rugby product, right? Those, th those three things cannot, cannot happen all at the same time. Mm. Um, and if it is to happen, it needs to be restructured. I would be looking at our structure and, um, and looking at what is the most efficient system that we possibly have. So we ranked systems of what we could, what we could possibly have under this arrangement. So we looked at, you know, we have five teams, four teams, three teams, whatever it might be. And do we have an NRC? Do we have, don't have an NRC? And we ranked um, everything that we thought could happen. And then came the one that they decided to put to the, to the, to the, to the sellers. Yeah. We ranked them one to 10. The one they put forward, we ranked 11th. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't think that impossible. Okay. Um, however, what I'm doing is I'm sitting on the outside of this. And the one thing we know is when you actually get into the boards and you have to make the decisions, you have a, you have a different view and it's, it's, you know, none of these decisions are easy yeah. and you have to take everything into account. Um, what I, what I would, would be concerned about is one, what are the things you get the best bang for your buck? Yeah. So we know facilities don't make much difference. <clears throat> I would, would not have a focus on rugby league players, bringing them through, right? Yeah. I'd be focusing on getting the guys who do want to play for Australia because the biggest thing we find is that there's the difference in skill is nowhere near as big as the difference that you can have in cohesion, right? Yeah. So, so that would be more focused around trying to build that, what the most appropriate structure is, would be. But the biggest thing that's going to control everything is the constitution. Yeah. So, so in, in O... I don't know, was it 02, maybe after 03, New Zealand Rugby said, the only thing that matters is the All Blacks. That's, we're going to focus everything on making them successful. 
make the engine about that. Now, that gives you two things. One, it gives you the ability to make money. Two, it, 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 it will improve participation. The Wallabies are winning, more people will be wanting to, to play. Um, we shouldn't be focused as much on getting people to, to worried about making a spectacular product because people actually don't, people are not as obsessed about the product as they should be. They want to actually feel something for the teams. Yeah. And, and if you're constantly chopping and changing the coach and the players, you never feel anything. Yeah. That would be that would be the sort of the the focus on not trying to put as as my brother in law puts it, put lipstick on a gorilla. No marketing plan <laughs> is going to is going to fix a team in chaos, right? Yeah. Um and and you know, building building the most efficient system that we can that is about the wallabies being successful. And everything else I believe would flow off the back of that. Yep. Um but it's it's there there is such a high level of complexity. Mm. When you involve all these decisions and who they have to answer to, I don't have. To, I can sit here. I don't have to answer to anybody. I can just make all the judgments and, and say, no, "I'm the answer," but I'm not the answer. But we, it's, I think, we need to prioritise where our money's spent and and um, and what is going to be effective. And and you know, I think there's a lot of people in Australian rugby over the last 15 years that have been left to carry the can. Yeah. CEOs and coaches. I mean, every coach we've had since Rod has gotten worse results than the bloke before him. Yeah, it's not a coaching issue, structural issue, mm. because they're not. You know, I know that 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 some of those guys are better coaches and some of those guys are worse coaches, but it should not go do, do, mm. do, 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 over a twenty-five year period. Yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. for sure. Well, I've given you a complete non-answer there. I apologise. <laughs> yeah, that's the. I think you bang on. It's a tough, tough question to answer, isn't it? I think. Um, Frank, you said it was uh, going to be an easy question. I, I look. I think we've touched on a lot of. Well, that's how you always frame the tough ones as an easy question. That's um, thank you so much for joining us, Ben. It has been an absolute pleasure. Um, I realise uh, I was so excited getting you on that I didn't actually introduce um, our, the three of us, but uh, no doubt you probably know Harry and, and Nelson from um, badgering you on Twitter probably all the time. Um, and, uh, and I'm Kagi. But look, thank you very much for, for joining us on uh, this episode of the Draft Rugby Show. Uh, I think there's a lot of interesting insights and um, yeah, we'd love to have you on again in the future and, um, and uh, hopefully we'll all uh, be very excited after the big win this weekend. I've got, I've got one more request, just yeah, yeah. New Zealanders bad advice. <laughs> Say you need to chop and change lots. Go on a podcast over there, tell whoever you can. Yeah, if they got rid of if they got rid of Super Rugby and just played the their ITM Cup all year round, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, yeah brilliant. That'd be good. That'd be great. Add more teams in as well. There needs to be more Super Rugby teams. Yeah, I was say two versions of the game line report: the one um, for the Australian customers and the one for the Kiwi customers. That's what <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, look, thank you very much, Ben. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, mate. Well, Thanks. Thank you. Bye. -bye.